0: Hey, this is MJ, and I just want to talk to you guys about my podcast, which is called Put a Pin in That. It's going to be about my crazy escapades, about when I was in college, I went to school in New Orleans, and I went to an HBCU university, which is, for those who don't know, his- historically black college university. I went to school down there, so I'm going to be talking about some of my college stories. I'll be talking about my work. My life, my married life, being a mother, sometimes being somebody's therapist, sometimes being the chef of the household, being a non-licensed doctor because sometimes I do practice medicine. We'll talk about that later. But it's just about all my crazy escapades from, you know, just from college, from getting married. And I just want to tell people the stories that actually put a smile on my face when I reflect about some of the things in my life. So I hope you enjoy listening to my podcast and just also Give you a little background when I'm telling my stories. Usually I tell stories from the middle and then I go backwards or I go forward or whatever. So that really inspired the whole concept of put a pin in that. So from time to time, you will hear me say put a pin in that and then I'll go back and forth. So when you hear me say that, you know, it's time for you to make sure that you're keeping up. So sit back, relax and enjoy the first installment of put a pin in that. Okay. So, my husband at the time was driving freight trains. So he is considered an engineer that drives freight trains. That's what they're called because most people don't know the difference that there's actually an engineer or a conductor. So you actually have an engineer and a conductor, but he was the engineer. He's the one who drives the train. And then the conductor actually sits on the side of him. But if there's any type of mechanical issues with the freight train, they're the ones that actually go down and troubleshoot it. So I'm at home. It's a holiday. It's wintertime. I'm at home with my son. I'm in the, office in the in my house and my son's in his room playing and my husband calls because he's on his way back from one of his trips. And usually when he goes out of town, he's gone for about 48 hours. So he calls and he's not feeling well. And he's telling me, I, you know, I think I ate something. I think I have food poisoning. So I said, okay. I said, well, what do you plan on doing? He, I said, do you think you're going to be able to make it home or, you know, do you need to stop at an urgent care or go to the emergency room? So he was like, no, I think I can make it home, he said, but I've been puking out my guts So I said, okay, I guess I'll see you when I get when you get home You know, I got a medicine cabinet full of stuff, so we'll deal with it when you get here So he comes home, I'm in the office down the hallway He comes in, gives me a kiss, and he looks like crap He's like just wrecked So he said, I'm going to go upstairs, um, take a nap, and hopefully sleep it off So I said, okay as he's going down the hallway, I hear this loud boom. So I'm like, what was that? And so it almost sounded to me like a tree falling in a forest. But to be honest with you, I've never been in a forest when a tree fell. So I, that was just my imagination what it could possibly sound like. So, all that to be said, I'm trying to run, go to the living room, figure out what happened. Before I could even get to the living room, my son is like, mom, dad is passed out in the living room. Help, help, help. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I, you know, I get in the living room, like what is going on? And so he's like holding himself and screaming and hollering and like, oh, I feel terrible. I feel terrible. So I said, okay, what do you want me to do? He was like, just leave me alone. Let me just, just give me a moment. So I'm like, okay. So I'm standing over him. I'm, you know, waving at him, fanning him. My son is standing there and we're looking at each other like, okay, what do we do? So I'm like, okay, you get behind. Tell my son, I said, you get behind his back and you push him up. I'm going to grab his hands. I said, and let's try to get you up, get you on the couch, and then we'll figure out what we need to do. He's like, leave me here. I'm like, I can't leave you here. I need to get you up off this floor. So he's like, no, just leave me alone. So I'm like, okay, now he's holding his stomach, moaning, groaning. I've never seen him in so much pain. So I'm just like, okay, let me figure something out. So I run, I go get him a cold towel, put it on his forehead. I said, so what do you want me to do? He was like, leave me alone. So I'm like, OK, I said, well, do you need to get a garbage can? Are you going to be puking? I mean, you know, because basically, to be honest with you, I just got my carpet cleaned probably about a month ago. And I was thinking, like, I don't want this crap all over my carpet. But that's another story for another day. He was like, no, I've already puked. I'm good. Just leave me alone. So at this point, I said, OK, so I tell my son, you stay in here with them. I'm going back to the office because guess what I go do? I go Google. That's what we all do. I go to WebMD, all the websites, and I'm like typing. I'm like, okay, food poisoning. What do you do for food poisoning? People pass out from food poisoning. I'm just Googling all this other kind of stuff. So my son comes in the office, and he was like, Mom, Dad said he needs you to call an ambulance. And I'm like, I paused. I'm like, he said he wants me to what? He was like, he said, call an ambulance. I'm like, I'm not calling an ambulance for food poisoning. Does he know how much a bill costs for an ambulance? No. I said, and you go back in there and tell him I said it. Okay. I know some people are probably like, uh, lady, why didn't you just call an ambulance? And I'm like, it's food poisoning. It's, I'm. Do you know how much? I, I don't know if people really know how much an ambulance bill costs, but I've had a few of them, and I know they're very expensive. And if it's not life and death, I'm not calling an ambulance. So I said, I was thinking in my mind still, I can get him in the car. I go around the corner. I said, babe, let me just help you get off the floor and let's get you into the car and try to get you to care now or try to get you to an emergency room. And he's, by this time, eyes are rolling in the back of his head. He's foaming at the mouth. And he's like, call an ambulance. So I get real close and I say, do you know how much that bill is going to cost? Are you sure you want me to call an ambulance? And he grabs me by my neck and says, call an ambulance. So by this time, and my husband is an introvert. He's very, he, you know, he, he's real easy. When he said call an ambulance, I was like, okay, he means call an ambulance. So then I get panic. I go into like crazy mode. I start yelling and screaming to my son, go find my cell phone. We got to call 911. He gets the cell phone. And this is like really like a major emergency for the first time for me. So I'm, I get crazy. And I'm like, what's the number to 911? I, I know people do it all the time. But I was like, "What's the number that I want?" What? And my son's like, "Mom, it's nine one one. Give me the phone." So he takes the phone. He calls nine one one. Thank God he knows our address because by this time he's probably like in the third or the fourth grade. I can't even remember. So he gives all the instructions. Tells him to come to the house. I'm like, okay. So then my logistical brain starts clicking in. So I said, okay. We're going to have to go in the ambulance, and they may not let me travel with you in the ambulance. So I was like, okay, I got to call you, Mimi. So I called his Mimi because his Mimi lives around the corner. I said, hey, I got to take his dad to the hospital. Something has happened. He's over here, you know, sick. Can you come by and pick him up? She said, sure. So she was like, let me get some shoes on. I'm on my way. So by this time, the paramedics come. They come in, ask me a bunch of questions. I said, all I know is he said he has, he thinks he has food poisoning. So they're asking him questions like, well, what did you eat? He was like, I ate a burger. So I'm like, oh, did you eat at that burger joint that I told you not to? Because when they work on the railroad, they eat at all these little dives. And I tell them about eating those, you know, eating in those types of places. Because I'm like, you know, you got a bad stomach and you can't just be eating any, into every kind of thing, you know? So anyway, he's looking at me like, lady, we don't have time for all of this, you know? So he says, I ate a burger. I don't know. I've been puking my guts out. Somebody help me. So, I mean, by this time, he is like really holding himself. He's like crying. He's profusely sweating. So I'm like, can y'all give him something? Because they couldn't even get him off the floor. They couldn't move him. So they were like, okay, we're going to give him a shot of Toradol. So I was like, okay. Now, just a little, put a pin in that. A little backstory. At that time, I was a hypochondriac. So I watched every medical show and like I said, I had to go google everything So every time I got a headache, I had a brain tumor every time my chest hurt I had a heart attack and I was always the one running to the emergency room So that was also part of my hesitation of not wanting to call an ambulance because I had already racked up so many medical bills running to the emergency room Probably every weekend having you know gloom and doom thinking that I was going to die So that was just a little backstory on that. Okay back to the story so They give him some Toradol, and I knew what Toradol was. And so I was like, okay, well, that should get you calm and you should be okay. So they give him the Toradol, wait for it to kick in. It doesn't kick in. He's like really sick. So he was like, I need something else because I can't move. So then the paramedics are like, well, we'll give you some morphine. So I said, okay. So they give him the morphine. So I was like, oh, you're going to get the good stuff. So my husband's like calming down. He's, you know, starting to perk up a little bit. He's actually able to finally sit up. So they were able to actually put him on the stretcher gurney or whatever you want to call it and get him situated to get him transported in the ambulance. So my son's Mimi's there. I'm like, you all lock up. I jump in the back of the ambulance and we go. Now, again, back to the railroad. We have really good benefits and we have really good insurance. So I've been told. So I'm telling the people that are driving, transporting us, I want to go to the good hospital. (laughs) They're like, you're going down the street to this hospital. We're going to the closest place. I'm like, well, I've heard different things about that particular hospital. And the paramedic is like, ma'am, we're taking them to the closest place. You can work that out when we get there. I know people are probably like, okay, your husband's dying possibly, and you worried about. It. I'm like, I'm trying to get him to a good place. I want to make sure he gets the right care, and I'm steady waving around my Blue, Claw, Blue Cross Blue Shield card, saying, "I got good insurance." It is what it is. So, the paramedic says, "Hey, it's winter time. We've been dropping people off because at this time, flu is flu season." So, he's like, "There's a possibility, a strong possibility." that there won't be a room for you to be put in and we may have to put you in the hallway. Now, again, I'm thinking to myself, I just told these people I didn't want to go to this hospital, but if we have to come, I know, I guess I'll just have to go in here and, you know, wave my Blue Cross Blue Shield card around and say, I demand to be put in a room. So I thought, okay, but that's not what happened. So we get to the hospital they say, they tell him there's no place for him to go into a room. They might not be able to get him into a room for about another 30 minutes. So they basically put us in a hallway with everybody else. So I'm like, oh, my gosh, outside of me being a hypochondriac, I'm a germaphobe, too. So I'm like, I don't want to catch the flu. I'm trying to pull the covers over his face <laughs> so he doesn't get the flu on top of whatever else he has going on. It's just like craziness. So finally, probably, I guess maybe about 30 minutes later, a nurse comes out and she was like, okay, we've got a room for him. We're going to push him in. I said, okay. So they come in, get the vitals. We're filling out paperwork. She's asked me a bunch of questions. I'm like, he thinks he has food poisoning. I said, but I don't know. I said, if, if a burger took him out like this, I don't want it. Okay. Just never mind. Forget about it. So the doctor comes in and he does some examinations. And so he said, "Okay, we don't know what's going on. We're gonna send him up for X rays and we're gonna draw blood and try to figure out, troubleshoot and figure out what's going on." So okay. So by this time, my husband is like, "Call my mom." Okay, okay, let me call your mama. So I call his mother. I'm like, "Hey, we're in the hospital. This is what happened." So she was like, "I'm on my way." So by the time he goes upstairs, has the x-rays, she's there. So he's happy. He's not content in being happy with me, but he's happy to see his mother. But, you know, that's how sometimes you men are. But anyway, so we're in the room. The nurse comes and she tells me, she she motions and she asked me to come out into the hallway. And I'm like, okay. She said, well, the doctor's going to come in here and tell you exactly what's going on. But we figured out what's happening. So I'm like, okay, what is it? Is it food poisoning? She was like, no, it's not food poisoning. So I'm like, well, what is it? She was like, it's his appendix. I'm like, okay. I said, so what does that mean? What are we doing? He's got to have surgery? She was like, Yes. I said, okay, so what, he probably have surgery tomorrow. She was like, no, he has to have emergency surgery. They're going to be coming here and taking him down in the next few minutes. Wait, what? So I'm like, seriously? She was like, yeah, it's ruptured. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So then I'm like, I ne- let me just say this. I don't have a poker face. So I'm trying to pull myself together because I got to go in here and try to break the news to him because I want to tell him before the doctor comes in because I know he's going to panic and flip out. So I go in, he's like reading my face and he's like, what, am I dying? I'm like, well, no, technically you're not, but your appendix ruptured and you've got to have surgery. So by the time I said that, the people were coming in behind me and my husband's like, okay, where they? what are they doing? I said, they're coming to get you and take you to surgery. He was like, wait a minute, I don't get to schedule the surgery? I'm like, no, you've got to go like right now. So he is like, for real, like goes into infant mode and is like, you know, mommy and all of this. And I'm just standing there looking at him like, really? I mean, I just couldn't believe it. This is a six, the dude is six, four, probably at the time, two fifty, And I'm like, you sitting up here calling for your mommy, you, you with your mommy. Okay, whatever. Fine. I get it. So I said, okay, it's going to be okay. So like I said. I'm a hypochondriac. I've watched a lot of medical shows. I'm an avid fan of Grey's Anatomy. And I'm like, okay, they're probably going to do laparoscopic surgery. So the surgeon is standing there looking at me like, yeah, that's what we plan on doing. You know, you want to tell them what we're going to do. I'm like, no, you do it. So I'm like, it's gonna, babe, it's going to be okay. You know, the guy says it's probably going to take about an hour and a half. He'll be fine. Okay. Kiss him on the forehead. Love you. Say a quick prayer. Sent him off they like, you can go out into the waiting room. We'll give you updates. He said about an hour, hour and a half. Okay. So me and his mom out there making phone calls, letting everybody know what's happening. All right. So an hour goes by. Then an hour, hour and a half. No nurse, no nothing. So his mom is like, well, go ask somebody what's happening. I'm like, you go ask So she goes up and the nurse was like, somebody come out and talk to you and tell you what's happening. So by hour two, 2.15, I started panicking a little bit. So finally the nurse comes out. So she says, well, I have an update for you. We couldn't do the laparoscopic surgery because it had ruptured. And so they ended up actually having to cut him. And so I'm like... Okay, so what does that mean? So she's like, well, they had to do a very deep incision, cut him, and it's going to take a little bit longer because once it ruptured, he had all that, you know, poison and stuff inside of him. So they're in there double checking, making sure everything is, you know, taken care of, and um, it might be another hour or so, but we'll come back and give you, you know, what's, you know, an update. So me and his mom are just sitting there, and we're like, okay, So, he comes out, they take him to recovery, he wakes up, I'm like, okay, everything's good, he's asking a bunch of questions, because obviously obviously he's on anesthesia, and I'm, you know, trying to fill in the gaps and everything, so the doctor comes in, and I said, okay, well, when can he be discharged? The doctor says, "Um, well... It's going to take a little bit longer than we anticipated because we had to cut him so, you know, cut instead of do the laparoscopic. So we're looking at probably two months downtime, minimum. So this is just how my brain thinks. I'm like, two months. So I said, so that means he can't go to work. And the doctor's like, no. I'm like, okay. So then I said, well you know he has to climb up and down on I said he drives trains so I said he's gonna have to climb up and down and get on the engine caboose or whatever they call the thing and he was like okay he said well then it might be three months because he said when we cut them it cuts through your stomach muscles and so he said that's gonna be a long time for that to heal and to recover so my husband's sitting there looking like what and I'm looking like what so anyway, I have all these crazy thoughts. I'm like, okay, I just got to regroup, figure it out. I said, okay, so when can he get discharged or whatever? He was like, well, because of what we had to go through, it's going to be a few days. Well, a few days ended up being seven days in the hospital. That's a That's a very long time. Okay. So we go through the seven-day period. I get the discharge papers. He's all stapled up. Put him in the bed. Let him rest. Have all these instructions. The next morning, he wakes up, and he's complaining about his stomach hurting. So I'm like, why is your stomach hurting? You just had surgery. You've been in the hospital for seven days. So then my hypochondriac brain starts thinking they had surgery. They left something inside of them. I got to get them back to the hospital. So I called the surgeon. He was like, no, bring him in. Let me see what's happening. By the time we get to the surgeon's office, the gauze and the bandages are bleeding. So I'm like, what is going on? And in my mind, I'm still thinking, oh, I took them, they took them to the wrong hospital. I didn't want to go to that hospital. I wanted to go to the good hospital. So I'm just thinking all kind of crazy stuff. So the surgeon takes the gauze off and he's bleeding through. And he was like, well, the staples have started coming loose. So he said, well, I'm going to have to take them loose in the office. I said, can you do that? Is this a sterile environment? And he was like, yes, I can do it. Like, you know, get out of here. So he says, I'm going to have to, you know, take the staples out. I said, okay, so then what are we going to do? Are we going to have to take them back to the hospital and, you know, sew them back up? Or what are we going to have to do? He was like, no, we're going to have to leave the wound open. I'm like, what? He said, yeah. So I watched him take these staples out. And when he unstapled his stomach, it looked like a hollow watermelon. Watermelon. Because that's how deep the cut, the incision was. I could basically put my whole forearm down in this man's stomach cavity. I was horrified. So I said, okay, so what am I supposed to do with this? He said, well, what you're going to do is you're going to continue to pack it with gauze every day. And I'm going to give you some more instructions. You're basically going to put them in the shower. Let the shower water run and rinse out the stomach cavity. And you're going to pack it with gauze. And that's it. I said, that's it. I said, okay, so you're going to send a home nurse or somebody to the house to deal with all this, right? Because I got gut insurance. I got Blue Cross Blue Shield. He's like, no, you don't need a nurse. I said, I'm not dealing with this. This is not in my wheelhouse. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. Sometimes I practice like I am, but no, this is not it. He said, trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Just follow the instructions and do it. My husband is like, no, I don't want to doing it. She's gonna kill me. So the surgeon's like, she's not. If you all just do what I ask you to do, he's gonna be fine. I'm like, I can't do this. So he's like, yes, you can. So I said, okay. So you're not sending, you're not giving me a home healthcare nurse or sending anybody to my house or anything. He's like, no, you'll be fine. So I was like, okay. I said, "Well, where am I supposed to get gauze from?" So he's like, "I'm going to give you a few boxes of gauze from the office, but you're going to have to go to a medical supply store and get some." I said, "Okay." So I get in the car and I remembered my sister is a nurse in Chicago, cuz I'm from Chicago by the way. So, I called my sister I tell her everything that's going on. She's horrified, screaming on the phone, like, I can't believe he sent you home, and this is what he's going to do, and he's not giving you a nurse. He should have given you a nurse, and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, he didn't. So what am I supposed to do? She was like, don't listen to the doctor. He's stupid. I said, well, he is a surgeon. She's like, I'm a nurse. I was like, oh, nurse? Trump's doctor? She's like, in this scenario, it does. Listen to me if you want your husband to live. I said, okay. She said, go to the supply house, go to the medical supply house. You're going to get saline solution and all the gauze you can buy. So I'm like, what? She was like, just trust me. Go get it and I'll give you, get off the phone with me, get them home, get them situated. I'll give you instructions after you do that. I said, okay. I go run, I buy up everything in the store. Just give me all the saline and all the gauze you got. Okay. I get home. My husband's sitting there like this is not going to work. I'm sure he probably was thinking like, hope my life insurance is paid up because, you know, this is it. So my sister says, you're going to take the saline. You're going to do what the doctor said. You're going to put them in a shower every day, twice a day. You're going to rinse the stomach cavity out and then you're going to soak the gauze with the actual solution, the saline solution. And then you're going to take the sal- that, that, that soaked gauze and place down in his stomach cavity. I said, okay, and then what? And she said, and what's going to happen is the saline is going to heal him from the inside quicker than putting dry gauze in there. And she said, you will be amazed. She's like, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Just do what I tell you to do and it'll be okay. I said, are you sure? She was like, yes, but you're going to do this twice a day. And she said, you'll be, she said, you will be surprised how fast that wound will start closing up. I said, okay. So the first, that first day I go tell my son, Hey, we got to do this. So he was like, okay, what do I need to do? So we go into the kitchen. It's kind of like, you know, somebody's having a baby and you're not prepared. So I'm like, uh, get this apron. So we got some aprons cause I also cook a lot at the house. So I throw an apron on him. I put an apron on myself. I go and put my husband in the guest bedroom. I get uh, those black trash bags. I line the bed with the black trash bags. I'm trying to have a sterile environment. I'm trying to, you know, use my knowledge from watching all these medical shows. I put him in the shower, get him out, lay him down on the trash bags, you know, on top of the towel and all this. And I've got my son over there soaking the gauze and I mean, it's like a scene on television, seriously. He's got the tongs from the kitchen. They've been sterilized, by the way. And he is like passing me the stuff. I've got gloves on and we're just packing this baby, packing it, packing it, packing it, packing it, packing it. And so the first day, we're kind of like, okay. So I checked on him, made sure he survived. The next day, I called my sister every day, gave her an update. She was like, just keep doing it. I promise you. I promise you it's going to get better. It's going to get better. I said, okay. So probably without, maybe within 30 days, I really started to see it actually happening. This wound was actually slowly closing up. I was amazed. I said, but I wonder how long it was actually going to take had I not done it her way and actually done it the way the surgeon told us to do it. So long story short, he survived We didn't kill him. Thank God for that. When I had to take him back for his actual checkup, the surgeon was looking at him, and he was like, oh, I told you, it looks great. You know, like, you know, trying to pat me on the back, being sarcastic, like, good job. I'm like, yeah, good job, my foot. I had to call my sister, who's a nurse, and she's the one who told me to use the saline and then do this, that, and the other. So he kind of just stood there and looked at me and was like, wait, that wasn't really necessary. It didn't hurt anything. I said, but I think it made him heal a little bit quicker. But, you know, whatever, dude. So all that to be said is that the man survived, and that actually gave me my credit for not being a licensed nurse But when I say I wear different hats, I can add nurse to the actual list now. So I remember I said I was a non-licensed doctor. And now I can also say that I can do a little nursing on the side. So that's all I have to tell you today. That was my little funny story about I didn't kill my husband. Thank God for that. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I put some type of smile on your face. I hope you were able to laugh out loud And I can be reached if anybody wants to, you know, give me a little feedback on my funny stories. Or if you have a funny story that you like to share, I can be reached on Instagram. My Instagram account page is put a pin in that 72 on Instagram. So until next time, I'll talk to you later. This is MJ signing out.